Hi, this is David Yaz at the Boston Podcast Network, hoping you are staying safe and healthy during this period of precaution over the coronavirus. It's difficult to connect with your clients and contacts in a period such as this, but here we continue to produce podcasts that allow you to connect with the people that you want to reach. You've got a rapt audience like never before. People are home, they're listening, and they're waiting to hear from you. We can create a professional podcast with a quick turnaround and do the whole thing remotely so you don't have to leave your home. Get in touch with us at pod617.com. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our city. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the ships at sea, lovers, muggers, and thieves, welcome to the Boston Podcast, where we tell the stories of your city through the voices of your city. Uh, happy pandemic, everyone. There are there are glimmers of hope that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, maybe, but not really. I don't know. I'll talk a little bit about that with my guest, who is awesome, who I've just been introduced to recently. I like to interview business leaders, of course, on this show. This dude is definitely that. His name is Michael Van, not to be confused with controversial filmmaker Michael Mann. Right, Michael? You don't make movies, do you, as far as I know? No, I do not. Okay. Um, he is the president of the Van Group. I'll tell you right off the top that you can find out more about the Van Group at Van. That's V-A-N-N dash group. Not, no, wait. Yeah, that's a dash. I got. I should that's know that. Dash. I. Yeah, I was editor of a newspaper 15 years. I should know a dash from a hyphen. It's Van, V-A-N-N dash group. Dot com. Michael Van, welcome to the Boston Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dave. <laughs> and thanks for being here. So before we started recording, we were talking about how you you appropriately pointed out we might actually be able to go to a restaurant sometime soon. And I was I was kind of unaware, to be honest. But um, so how does that make you feel? Is is it really, as I mentioned at the top, is it really a light at the end of the tunnel? I, I think so. I mean, I'm ecstatic. It's um, restaurants are something that's it's in our blood. We go out here at our office for lunch every day. Mm. We probably eat out, you know, a family two or three times a week. And I'm an investor in several restaurants. So, um, you know, we've been shut for several months. So that just that glimmer that you'll be able to actually go out and socialize again and have a nice glass of wine and a really good steak that you didn't have to make yourself is just, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, my son, to mark my son's graduate, my son graduated from Sharon High School yesterday. And I had, thank you. And I had had um, plans to like kind of hold a party for him on Saturday night. Um, that party turned into something that wasn't a party, but I wanted to do something for him. So I, I tried to cook um, on my own Philly cheesesteaks. They didn't come out exactly like Philly cheesesteaks, but they came out okay. And then he and I are fans of the TV show, the office. So we went online and did a, uh, a virtual, uh, trivia night with the office, which was interesting. Uh, yes, we didn't win, but what the hell anyway. So, um, Michael is, like I said, president of the van group. And what is that strategic consulting transactory transactional advisory experience? And, and in other words, you counsel, business owners through transactions. You help them uh, make themselves look good, find potential buyers. Um, you work with second stage companies. I know that, but why don't you clear that up, Michael, because I probably didn't describe it hundred percent well. Yeah. So we work with, you know, as you mentioned, the term second stage companies, which are really 
companies that aren't startups and they're not really big companies. So they, they typically fall between a million and 50 million in revenue and say 10 to 100 employees is a typical typical company, depending on industry, obviously food service has, or construction might have higher numbers or something, but, and they're companies that, you know, they want to grow or they want to stabilize themselves and build value for the, for the duration, but they don't have the depth teams yet or the experience that comes from running a larger company. So um, they have some unique challenges that larger companies don't and definitely very different challenges than a startup, which is where, you know, most people in the business community and in economic development love to talk about is startups. Oh yeah. Cause startups are so much fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the, the really the important thing about being a startup is the most important thing you can do is not be a startup. Right. You know, so yep. this is the next stage of that. This is what happens if you've been successful in exiting startup life. Yeah, when I launched uh, the Boston Podcast Network, I tended to refer to us as a startup when we screwed something up. Say, well, you know, we're a startup, so we're still doing this on a shoestring. But then <laughs> I never really offered that information because, you know, I think, um, I don't know if that's changed maybe. I remember the, you're, um, I think, younger than I, but but probably old enough to remember the, the dot-com bubble bursting, right? Oh, yeah. And. I think you tell me, you'd know better than I. Was, was that a cooling event? In other words, people were so excited about the, the dot-coms invested all kinds of money that the, many of them didn't get back. And so now maybe it's not so much fun to be a startup when you don't have the, the fundamentals to, to back it up. Am I on yeah, the right track? I would say right now is not fun to be a startup, you know, when you're uh, uh, dealing with a crisis like this because everything kind of gets reset a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to change change gears. So if you're a startup, you don't have, anything to change your gears too, other than you put yourself on pause uh, in a lot of cases. So it, it's, it's a very challenging environment for them right now. So, you know, our second stage companies have been able to weather it pretty well that we work with. You know, we've had a few that for, I would just call it dumb luck. They happen to be in bad industries that under normal conditions would have been fine in a recession. But, you know, when you have these types of uh, black swan events, yeah, you're in the event space or you're in training space or restaurants or something where people mm-hmm. have to come together. You know, you, you can't, you can't deal with a hundred percent loss of revenue. Yeah. I've inter- you can deal with it, but I've, interv- I've interviewed some event planners on this show and they're kind of bummed out. <laughs> I mean, they, they, the best they can do is try to, prepare for the moment when events come back in some different fashion and then sort of purport to be experts there. I, I also interviewed a CEO of a team building um, enterprise called Team Bonding. And so what they have done historically has been a leader in uh, arranging events that are, as it sounds, team building for corporations. So kind of what, what most of us would call kind of fun breaks from the norm where you do like a scavenger hunt or some kind of live event they they quickly pivoted they've got like more than like more than a dozen offerings that they can all do online but it's different how has how has your business changed have you been able to continue to work with clients the way you used to we have been uh you know because we're working like this through via zoom you know with a lot of our sessions and uh conversations but there you're definitely missing the engagement level that comes with it Mm -hmm. you know the ability to, to be in a room with a person to read body language to to adapt and to have those informal moments so as much as everyone loves to talk about this is going to be great we're going to be remote i think from our perspective a lot of people are still going to crave that office environment and those meetings because of that that authenticity that comes with it that yep. you can't get when you're on zoom 
Yeah, and you 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 mentioned that at your office you go to lunch almost every day. I take it that that that's something you must miss because you can get together online as much as you want, and it, you you don't get that kind of energy from being in the same room with people. No, it definitely is lacking. I mean, and, you know, we're we've been fortunate; we've been open the entire time because our offices consider essential, but. That was always our break was to get out for an hour. The, our senior leadership team, that was our time together. And it gave you enough time to just break away from the place. Today, it's in, in every day, you know. So even though we're eating together, it still loses the same the same vibe. Yeah. The conversations aren't the same. They're not as geared towards business. So they're more frustrating about, well, what's going on with the virus or the protests or, you know, that type of stuff. Rather than the strategic side that we like to think about when we're at lunch and we're not worried about the business. Now, I uh, was able to do a a little bit of research, the crack research team here at the Boston podcast. They located some information and uh, on the van group. And what I what I learned was you guys seem to have what I would describe as an an honest approach to, to dealing with clients. And that doesn't mean the the field is littered with people that approach it dishonestly. But 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 you seem to sort of lead with that. And so I, I wanted to dive a little deeper and the way, I, I mean, the, it's a competitive landscape, right? You're in a competitive industry. You know, I, I know having been in networking groups and whatnot that um, it's it's great work if you can get it, but there are a lot of people out there doing what you do. Uh, I'm going to play a quote from a great philosopher. His name is uh, Michael Van. You might have heard of him. Uh, no, I kid. I kid. Th- this 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 comes from a video that you put out. But I, w- I want to just play a couple of these and then maybe get your reaction, get a little more color. So here he is, the great philosopher, uh, Michael Van. So when our clients engage us, it's because they've hit a tipping point in their business. They've achieved a situation that's far too complex for them to solve on their own and they need outside help. We get engaged to do that for them. And our engagement is basically, how do we make this complex problem simple? And we found that the easiest way to make something simple is to use common sense. So we apply our common sense rationale and thinking along with you know, best practices that, that come from strategy, from issue solving, from finance, administration, whatever it may be. And we apply them to that situation. Now, we always have business owners. So that's that sounds fine and good. But uh, but it's it's I, I picked that one to lead off just because I, I think the people that come to you and find you inevitably are overwhelmed by the how complicated selling a business is because it or uh, whatever it is that you're working with them on. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so um, th- that would strike me as daunting and that exactly would be where you come in. So tell me a little bit more about that. How do you sort of calm people down and say, okay, we're going to take this step by step? So I think a lot of it is just, you know, listening to start, you know, when we, when we start our process with someone and they come in and it's a, a free conversation you know we've never charged anyone to sit down and talk with us and it's we start with all right well tell us tell us what you're thinking about what you're going with and it becomes a very uh back and forth dialogue situation so i don't come in with a pitch as to what we can and can't do you know i try to learn about what their what their issues are and then you know build that trust and relationship because you know i think that's the important thing is if you're going to move forward with a client they have to trust you because they're you're going to give them guidance on something they know absolutely nothing about Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they've probably read some things or they've heard things, but they're, they're overwhelmed by a situation. So you just got to break it down and simplify for them. And, you know, the first way to do that is to get someone to come and uh, build a trusting relationship with them. Mm-hmm. 
Do you, by the way, this is kind of an aside, but do you specialize in any industries or can, can you apply your method to just about any company that does anything? We can apply to uh, any, any company that comes in. You know, our, our tagline has always been our business is business because we've looked at, I don't care what type of business you are, if you're a restaurant, if you're a manufacturer of construction, fundamentals are still the same. You know, there's nuances to each industry, but they're, they're applicable uh, across the board. You know, you need good people. You need good leaders. You need to, good profit margins. Sure. You need to manage expenses. All those things are, are the same. The application might be a little bit different, but fundamentals are there. Okay, let's go to cut number two. We're quoting Michael back to Michael. Let's listen to this clip. The philosophical side of our business is all about common sense. And common sense can really be defined as just sound judgment, utilizing best practices to arrive at an answer. You know, our job is to make the complex simple. And when our, we're doing that, our clients want sound business advice that's easy to understand, easy to implement. There are three things that make the Van Group unique. The first is our ability to not pull any punches. All right, we're not going to get to all the three things. But in order, in order to make the, the complex, we'll get to a little bit of it later, but yeah. in order to make the, the complex simple, do you have to learn a, a lot about the inner workings of their business? Because the, many of these people, they, they kind of speak their own languages. Like restaurant guys, I imagine, have their own yeah. lingo as opposed to like a tech guy. Tell me about that. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve about uh, the nomenclature in an industry and how they, how they function that you, that you have to pick up. Um, but it's, it's usually not too hard. I mean, it, the stupidest thing to do is that you know, if you hear something you don't know, you just ask, well, what does mm-hmm. that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, and I can, what, I, what I found has been very valuable over the years is as I'm learning these things, I can apply other industries and experiences and, and, and storytelling from those other industries to it because it's, you know, the nomenclature might be different or the situation, but they're still basically the same, same challenge. So mm-hmm. it's been pretty easy to adapt from industry to industry. So you have, if you, you know, a restaurant owner approaches you, you can say, well, you know, we had this, although you might not name the client, you can tell the tale of when you had ex- a similar experience. Maybe that helps them feel more at ease. Like, you know, oh, we had somebody in here last year that was at his wits end and here's what we did. That sort of thing. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, everyone loves to think a lot of industries anyways, that their industry is unique and special. But when you can start to bring in these stories from other companies and other industries in the same exact situation, they get it. You know, they go, oh, yeah, that isn't that's not any different than what I'm dealing with. You know, if I've got a if I've got a bad employee, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, in construction or manufacturing, you still have to figure out how do I deal with this bad actor in my in my business. Do you sometimes have to talk people down from their emotional uh, attachment to their company, i.e. their baby, what they consider to be their baby? Is that an element of it? Oh, all the time. And uh, particularly with founders. So one of, the, one of the hard parts we see when we hit companies in the, in the second stage who are, they've gotten through the startup stage and they're in this kind of fun stage. And now they're hitting what uh, Les McEwen from Critical Success calls Whitewater where things get really, really start to get messy. What we're finding is a lot of Peter principle, right? People we've trusted throughout our entire business career who've been there thick and thin through us have now hit their Peter principle, which is the highest level of incompetence. And for our company to grow, we're going to have to make some really hard decisions about, about these people. So our founders usually are very, very emotional about that because of, of the loyalty side of it and uh, you know, so we have to walk them through and understand why this is impacting 
everyone else in the business. Now, do you mean the you the know? the owner and founder is a is an example of the Peter Principle, or someone they may be working with? So- well, the owner and founder is usually a uh, usually calls us because they figured out they're at their Peter Principle. <laughs> so, um, in other words, the 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 chef the chef who is the expert chef, yeah, um, opens a restaurant because he's the best cook in the world. And he's an initial success. And then when it gets to tough business decisions, he realizes he's not a businessman. He's a chef. I mean, exactly. I've simplified it, but I guess that's, yeah. Yeah, no, but that, that nails it perfectly. Yeah. And if I'm ever dealing, and I've had a few where I've met that they're smarter than me. So, okay, then I, you don't need me. I don't, I don't need to be here and waste, waste your time. Um, but so usually when they call. I detect a note of sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, but the, the reason they're having their issues is probably because of that, that yeah. attitude. Yep. Uh, yeah. I used to but, work. I used to work for a company that was famous for bringing in a consultant and paying them a fairly handsome fee. And then at the end of their work, ignoring their advice. <laughs> it's like, well, thanks, but you don't really know our business. Okay. Well, thanks yeah. for hiring me. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty common. Yeah. Uh, but usually when we're trying to break through some of those barriers that we face, it's people issues. And the hardest part is because the, the owner or the founder has enabled that situation to go on for a long time. And it finally takes, you know, us in the management team to start to address that and go, you know, this is, this is detrimental to the business. Yeah. All right. We've got one more clip. I love my clip. So I'm going to play the third clip from from you, Michael. Here it is. The first is our ability to not pull any punches. And what this means is that we're going to tell you exactly what we think on our engagement. We're going to give you the advice that we would follow if it was our own business. It may not be what you want to hear, and we're okay with that because the worst that's going to happen is we're not going to do business together anymore. You know, you're going to go your way, we're going to go our way. You know, that's the nature of relationships, and we're okay with that. The second... That's an, that's see, see that, So that's a good segue because we were kind of on that topic earlier, but... It, it, it must, this, this applies to what you do. And I'm, I'm sure to what a lot of other people do is that it, it you have to be brave enough to turn people down or to, or to walk away. Right. Um, right. and so give me, um, a little more color around that. How, how do you, how do you have that sort of arm length discussion and be able to figure out whether you're a fit for them and vice versa? Um, it usually just starts as we get into the engagement. You know, some it's it's usually not as black and white as us having that conversation and going, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to take your advice. It's as we get into the engagement and start making recommendations or providing our guidance, and we can see whether or not that's being taken or if it's being being ignored. And when it comes time to being ignored, we say, okay, look, it, we're clearly not providing value here, and if I can't provide value to you, then there's no reason for us to continue. Mm. And, it comes as, as simple as that, but it usually takes a little while to get into things before we we figure out um, how that relationship is going to play out. And does the client ever say to you, hey, come on, we're, we're paying you here, right? So why would you want to say goodbye to us? No. No. Because I, 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 <laughs> I think they recognize it. As soon as you say uh, it, they know it. Yeah. They, they know it. And sometimes, you know, the reason we're engaged is because they're trying to make somebody else happy. Mm-hmm. And for us to for us to come out and say it, it gives them the exit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we've had some uh, some owners um, go to sell their business, and you know we can bring them great offers all the time, and they don't take them, we don't take them. And really, what we found out is they didn't want to sell the business, but their spouse really wanted to sell the business. <laughs> that so, will happen. Yeah. Yeah, and so what happens is we bring these offers, and they're never good enough, even mm-hmm. if they hit the right numbers, because. They don't want to sell. So they go home and tell their spouse, look it, 
you know, these guys aren't working out. They haven't, they haven't brought us a good offer yet. We can't sell for that. You're a guy so, that's, you're, I'm sorry, continue, Michael, go. I was going to say, so we provide, you know, it provides kind of an out because we weren't, they didn't really want value from us in the first place. Mm-hmm. They want to check a box. Yeah. And that's a shame, <laughs> but, but at least you're shrewd enough to figure it out and know when it is, um, what exactly is going on under the surface there. You must have to play a combination of psychologist, advisor, and everything else. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do you keep some Kleenex in the office? Do people get emotional? <laughs> we we do have Kleenex in our in our, in our office. Yeah, not you never know. Right, 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 right. You seem to be someone that really enjoys what they do. So tell me if you if you can think of a particular success story of yours where it, it just exemplary of the work you do, where someone came in to your office with a, a genuine problem or challenge, and then the end of the story is happily ever after. Uh, I don't expect you to name names or anything, of course, but. No, but I mean, there's a, there's a great one I can give and they're actually okay. neighbors of Westwood, which is uh Telemon slash amplified insurance who, okay. you know, that was a situation where a good friend of ours, he, we helped him acquire the company from his, his father and it was not the company he wanted. And if you go into that company today, there's nothing that hasn't, hasn't changed to be the way that, that Greg wants. He's built this amazing culture, amazing leadership team. Um, he's integrated the business where maybe before was a little more siloed. Um, you know, we've been with them for six years. They're just an amazing success story of what they've done with this company about seeing a vision of what they wanted to do and engaging a group in building a culture around it. So they're like my, my one of my favorite stories because they, they get it. You know, you'd love to model every single one of your clients after a, tell them on because of the way they embrace it. But is the dad still around? He is he's so, in the business and he's doing what he's doing. You know, he, so he wasn't, he wasn't put off by the, the changes after he, I'm sure the there was a little, a, a little bit of it. You know, I think that's, that's the nature of any, uh, any, anyone who owns a company and they watch it when it, when it sells. But I think he was also cognizant that the business needed to change and he wasn't going to make those changes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a reason why people sell tell businesses because they're they're ready to move on. So I'll ask you the requisite uh, business slash pandemic question, and that is that in in your and what you do and and elsewhere in the business world generally, over the next year, what do you predict life will be like? And I'm I guess the um the, the obvious um answers would include things like you know more virtual meetings, fewer. Yeah trade shows and things like that. But, but, but anything else uh, come to mind? So I'm going to use the term uncomfortable. <laughs> I I, I, it's broad. I know. I've been using it, it plenty. Yes. Yeah. But I, I think that's just going to be the nature, uh, the nature of it, because even, even having a conversation with someone in person, you know, I was just on the phone before this was, all right, I'm going to meet you tomorrow. Is that, should I wear a mask? Are we, you know, how are we doing this? You know, there's this entire nuance that has to, has to come with it. You know, we, a lot of our, my business development comes one-on-one with meeting people or lunches and events. Well, how do you, how do you do that now? You know, that's the way professional service providers generate business. Um, so it's, a, it's uncomfortable. And, yeah. yeah. And I don't know what the, what the answer is. I already had my first, it just came in today. Actually, I have a, a duo that, that combines on a podcast. They're both professionals, different industries, and they talk about business matters and then they, they sort of have some fun on the show as well. 
But today, these guys are, they want this thing to be over with. You can tell. Like, they, they're they a, a little bit, um, uh, I don't want to call them cavalier because they're good guys, but the, a little bit more bold and like, you know, we've done what we've done. We've got to get back to work. Um, and one of them said to me, like, well, are we, are we going to record our next session, session virtually or in your studio? Now, I haven't officially even opened the studio back up again because... I, I didn't think I was supposed to until <laughs> the rules were not, we, we're not really, a, we can do everything virtually. So I think by definition, we're not essential, but anyway, I kind of didn't know what to say. And then the other guy chimed in and said, oh, let's do this one virtual and maybe next month in person, because y- what you just said uh, to take it a step further, you're going to have um, meetings where you might have, you know, four people and this could be like six to 12 months from now. Still, I would think you might, you might uh, invite four people to a meeting and three of them might be like, oh, I'll see you there. And the fourth one's going to be like, I, I don't feel comfortable yet, you know, because everyone has different interpretations of this thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are some who are very cautious and, as you said, more more cavalier about it. Others yeah. are. And, you know, you can't fault anyone for their for their opinion because we don't know enough about it to, to have a definitive opinion other than your instinct at this point. So, yep, that's what's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. The new hand at a comfortable level. Yeah. The new handshake is going to be the uncomfortable two seconds of deciding whether or not you're actually going to shake somebody's hand. I mean, you know, in the beginning of this thing, I heard some people say the handshake's dead forever. And, but you know, I'm not the the czar of of handshake etiquette, and unfortunately, I don't think there is one. So no one's. I mean, and our president will probably say, "Do what you want to do." And uh, well, let's not let's not even go there. What well, what I think if you see a lot of you know old school. You know, people who are very comfortable and confident in the ways are still doing still doing handshakes. Yeah, I've had others. You know, when I've been out now, it's like, well, it's a fist bump, or which yep. is really kind of awkward in a business environment to do a fist bump, but yeah, or an elbow elbow whatever. bump. Yeah, like yeah, for a while whatever. that was it. Yeah, and and yeah, I, I don't know. I've always been kind of blasé about these things, germs generally. I always say I'll, I'm going to get sick a couple of times a year, no matter what I do. And you got to have a little germs anyway to, to help build up your system, the immune system and all that. But this one, it's like, I, I'd be, I think I'm going to be perfectly comfortable shaking hands, but I don't know what the other person's thinking. So, right. you know, so, and what about the, I, what about, I have okay. extended yep. my hand to start the process, but if someone extends it, then I, <laughs> Okay, I'll I'll shake your hand, you know. But if they do a fist bump or nothing, whatever it may be. So I think you know, it's kind of awkward because I'm I'm more of a type A. But to be deferential has been, has kind of been the standard uh, that I've followed. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. When my my son graduated from high school yesterday, and so we were doing the car parade thing, and so and there were teachers that were along the route and. You know, my son is basically saying goodbye to these teachers. And one of his te- just beloved teachers who really adored my son just came up. And for a minute, I thought she was going to um, give him a hug through the window. But then Griffin's mom said, don't touch him. <laughs> just, and so then she kind of did the, 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 the symbolic hug from, from a distance. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of that. I mean, hand, never mind handshakes. I mean, you know, how about when your aunt Linda comes over and you haven't seen her in a couple months and she wants to hug and kiss you, you know, or, you know, some of us even in the business world have, you know, um, yeah. you know, different gender friends who you tend to greet with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And oh boy, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what will come of that. Yeah. No, it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch it play out. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we are going to, in the time remaining, play a quick session of good stuff where both Michael and I will recommend something good that might lift your spirits during this pandemic. But before we do that, let me briefly tell you about what we do here at the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com. Would you like your own podcast? If you would, now is actually an opportune time to do it. You're at home. There are probably still a few more weeks of this thing, so make use of the time. We'll send you out a quality USB microphone to get you started. We'll produce your whole show from start to finish. Go to pod617.com to get started. And by the way, if you'd like to be a guest on this show, particularly if you're in a, a business that's been affected by the pandemic and you want to remind people that you're still out there, you're still cooking, any of those restaurant owners that uh, Michael works with or otherwise, and uh, all those service providers, you want to remind people, and you want to be a guest on this show to market your wares, please email me. There's no fee for this. There's no strings attached. Just email me, david at pod617.com, or we'll get it started. Boston Podcast Network, in pod we trust. Okay, let's play a session of good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. Just as all of our listeners' patience are waning with uh, this stay-at-home order that is slowly lifting, what advice, Michael, can you give people that maybe something that has that has helped you get through this thing? So this is going to sound about as entitled as as one can sound, but my my Peloton has been great. <laughs> this. Um, prior prior to this, it pretty much had gathered dust, you know, mm-hmm. in the corner of the mm-hmm. of the living room, but. Um, you know, with this needing some way to just get some frustration and stress out, you know, I've, I've taken to it and it's been just a great, a great way to kind of feel normal again and get a good sweat and, mm-hmm. and exercise. And even though I dread it on the days I do it, it's like afterwards you just feel, feel like a million bucks as they say. So do you do the thing where you're competing against other people virtually? Um, no, but I've done it a few times with a couple of my, my fraternity brothers. Oh, nice. Uh, were on there. So it was like, and they, it was great because they pushed the hell out of you and they're all older than me and they kicked my ass. So <laughs> really? I, <laughs> I so, so, so I don't, ha- I don't, I don't have one, but I'm, I'm kind of interested. Were you, so you made an appointment with your buddies to do this and were you actually, yeah. you, and you actually talked to each other while you're doing it or? No, no, it was just kind of going see. up again. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I wouldn't have been able to speak during this. Yeah. Yeah. Winded. So, um, that, that, that's great. And Peloton is one of the big winners in this thing. Peloton, Zoom, you know, Purell, and not too many others, but, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to, and do you, and do you have the bike, the bike Peloton or cause there's another one that's like a treadmill, I guess, or. Yeah, no, I have, I have the bike. The bike. Okay. All right. So, like um, I, said, I was lucky I bought it last year and didn't use it. So it was in great shape when I got it this year and didn't have any delivery problems. So. Well, Long forgotten is that it, long forgotten is that weird Peloton ad where some people thought the woman was being held captive by her husband yeah. <laughs> because um, people have uh, that has faded from memory as people have been left at home with their Pelotons. Um, for my good stuff suggestion, I'd say if you want to do something with the kids, look into what I mentioned earlier. My son and I did, and that's a virtual 
online trivia, and I won't give a shout out to any specific company because I don't remember what they were. But uh, for my son and I, we just we love the TV show The Office, and he's obsessed with it. And so I found not one but two different tri- trivia sessions on Saturday night. And so just to describe the way things work, and it's not just The Office trivia; they do all kinds of subjects, and you know, and then they'll do some that are just kind of you know topic neutral, sort of more trivial pursuit style questions. But there's uh, it's it's interesting. There's a woman. The first one I did, there was a woman who's on the line and she's going through the questions and she's saying, write down your answers. And then the way she scored was you actually held the piece of paper up to the camera to just prove that you had gotten everything right. There wasn't, there wasn't like a huge prize on the line for anything, but so it, I don't think anybody really cared, but that one wasn't exactly foolproof. Then there was another one that was more automated, which was multiple choice. And I, it's very interesting, this, this guy who, and I just kind of Googled, you know, office trivia there was this one session we were in, there were 350 people in there. I mean, and to talk about a, a good uh, business idea and, and a boost to their business, people at home looking for something to do. And it's kind of cool because in each of these, this, the, the hosts livened it up by calling on people on the Zoom call and saying, hey, what did you get for that one? And just having them comment. And then if the person was visibly drunk, they moved away quickly. You know, you get a cut. But anyway, so that's, that's my recommendation. So just use the Google machine and find online trivia. Another, another one, if I could recommend real Sure, quickly. yeah, yeah. We've played a lot of board games as a family. I've nice. got 11, 13 year old, and there's one called Exploding Kittens. Oh, haven't heard of this. <laughs> it, it's worth the pickup. Well, so, uh, yeah, what's the basic gist of it? Basically, you don't want to get the Exploding Kitten card because if you do, you're out. <laughs> <laughs> but but is, it, is it just sort of a, a game like move around the board game, kind of like sorry? Oh, or cards. it's a card well, game? Like a, okay. No. It's like Uno with Exploding Kittens. Okay. So yes. Yeah. It's uh, the same same kind of framework. It's it's fun. My research staff tells me here that you can learn more at explodingkittens.com and it the this project raised eight point seven million dollars on Kickstarter. Jeez. I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong industry, man. I gotta invent a board game or something. Hell, let's let's um let's see what they say on the website here. Hold on. Stand by. This is supposed to be the game explained in two minutes. Um, it involves explosions. It involves all these crazy things in a card game. Exploding kittens. I didn't think I was going to have to narrate this. Here we go. I make the oatmeal, and this is Elon Lee and Shane Small. They make really cool games. The three of us got together and created a new card game called Exploding Kittens. Here's how the game works. You set our deck of cards face down and take turns drawing until one of you draws the Exploding Kitten card. Whoever draws the Exploding Kitten card explodes. They are dead, and they are out of the game. Oh, God. Unless that player has a diffuse card, which can diffuse the kittens using things like laser pointers, kitten therapy, and catnip sandwiches. In addition, there are various action cards which can be used to move, mitigate, or avoid the kittens throughout the game, such as skipping your turn by wearing a portable cheetah butt, attacking other players by deploying the thousand-year back hair, picking cards in the draw pile by rubbing the belly of a pigacorn, or seeking out the wisdom of an all-seeing goat wizard. Okay, I think we get it. It's 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 fun. It's pretty ingenious in its in its simplicity. You know, there, there's no trivia, there's no tasks, there's no like throwing anything at people. There's it's just, and it doesn't sound like there's a heck of a lot of deep strategy involved. That's not a knock on it. I'm just saying it's kind no, of. No, no. It, like, it's kind of like Uno. Okay. But with right. kittens that explode. Yeah. So. All right. Explode your kittens, people. <clears throat> um, so, Michael Van, once again, uh, you've been an awesome guest, as I expected. Michael Van from the Van Group, and that is V-A-N-N-Group.com is where you find more info. Is that the best way for people to get in touch with you, Michael? Or? It is, or you can uh, email me at letsgo at van-group.com. Excellent. Wait, let's go, but no, um, 
no apostrophe, right? Correct. I'm hung up on grammar today for some reason. All right. Well, very good. Uh, I hope you had fun, Michael. I did. It was great talking with you, David. I appreciate being a guest. And I enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Go to pod617.com if you like your own podcast. And email me if you'd like to be a guest on this show. That's david at pod617.com. On behalf of Michael Van and on behalf of all the exploding kittens in the world, my name is Dave. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy the day, everybody. Don't explode your kitten. Look out. I said I'm